This morning, the scripture will once again be on the overhead, but if you have your Bible, I hope that you will open to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. This is the second and the final part of this sermon about the first marriage. We thank you for being here. Would you pray with me and ask God to be in our midst and speak through his word? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful that we could gather here this day. Lord, to remember our mothers is such an important thing for us to do. And Lord, it's such a blessing to remember not only the ones who birthed us, but Lord, the ones who stood so faithfully by us and loved us when we did not return love and forgave us when we did not return forgiveness and continue to give us guidance and wisdom even when we rejected it. Father, thank you for those that have already gone before us to heaven. Thank you that they're in your care. And thank you, Father, for the mothers that are still living within our reach, perhaps through phone calls or even personal visits. Lord, just thank you for creating us man and woman and for giving us parents and spouses and children and grandchildren. Thank you for the gift of life itself. And most of all, thank you for the gift of your son. Lord, I pray in these moments ahead that you will speak through your word. I pray that the gospel will be shared in power and in love. And I pray, Father, that you'll give us receptive hearts and minds. Lord, so often we have rejected your way and your will, not knowing that that takes away the joy of living and peace of heart and the divine purpose that you have for our lives. And so, Father, I pray that in these moments you'll speak again to our hearts. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, in the event that you were not here, we started looking at the first marriage in the Word of God. And I want to read Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25. And it'll be on the overhead, but again, I encourage you to open your Bible and follow along. Then the Lord God said, and please notice in these verses that I'm about to read that four different times God is referred to as the Lord God. And, and again, perhaps that doesn't seem significant, but let me tell you why it is. Every generation has had a variety of gods that they could turn to and worship and bow in obedience to, whether we realize we were bowing to them or not. But in the word of God, the God who is the creator God, the God who is above all other gods, is so often referred to as the Lord God. And so as Moses is sharing about the creation account, he is trying to share with mankind how this creator God, the God above all gods, had a plan and a purpose for men and for women. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle, to all the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. 
And the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, again, I'm not trying to be a little light on this, but folks, can you imagine Adam goes to sleep and he's lonely and he wakes up and there's Eve. Now, can you imagine his shock? Because it sent him into speaking poetry. And listen to what he says in verse 23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then in verses 24 and 25, it's thought that Adam did not say these words, but this is God's reflection upon what he has just done. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Folks, can you imagine the wedding invitation that might have been sent throughout heaven? And again, as I was studying this the first week, I was thinking about how would God express what he had just done? And again, just imagine with me that God would have sent out throughout heaven uh, a wedding invitation about what he has done in created Adam and Eve. Perhaps it might have looked something like this. Wedding announcement. God the creator announces the joining together of his two children, Eve and Adam, in the holy estate of marriage. And folks, please again, understand that what took place was a work of God, and therefore it was holy. Where? The place, the Garden of Eden, the time, creation. Who officiated at the wedding? God himself. And folks, at the bottom of that, please notice you are invited to read, remember, and know. Folks, you and I, as, as creations of God, need to ask at least three questions as we read this story. What was God doing when he created Adam and Eve? Secondly, what was God's intentions for Adam and Eve? And folks, what we're trying to point out here is that God had a plan not only for Adam and Eve, but he has a plan for you and me. And perhaps that seems something that you've heard so many times from preachers that God has a plan for you. But folks, that is the absolute truth. God did not create us to wander aimlessly and purposelessly through life. But God has a purpose and a plan. And the problem so often is that not that God wants to have that plan activated in our life. So often we try and do things outside of God's plan. So often we leave God's plan aside and try and live life our way. So I hope you'll keep that in mind as, as we get deeper into the message. And quickly, let me give you a review from last week, okay? Genesis chapter 1 and 2 begins to instruct us about human life, about human sexuality, and about marriage through the act of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, and 28, God creates human beings. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25, God gives more specific details about men and women and God's plan for their lives. In Genesis 1 and 2, we're taught that both man and woman are a special creation of God, not a product of evolution. And folks, I confess I'm not a science teacher. I'm not even a teacher. 
And I'm not trying to provoke an argument. I am simply trying to say that Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that we are a special creation of the Almighty God. And again, I mentioned the Lord God is mentioned as the Creator God twice in verse 18 and in verse 21 and verse 22. And not only did God create man and woman, but God created man and woman in his image and his likeness. Now, what does that mean? At creation, man and woman, if you'll go uh, to the next, at creation, man and woman possessed a moral likeness like God. Adam and Eve at first were sinless. They were holy. They possessed wisdom, a heart of love, and the will to do right. And folks, it is so important to see that in Genesis 1, 2, and the early part of chapter 3, man and woman lived in a personal fellowship with God, which involved moral obedience and intimate communion with him. But folks, what happened? Well, Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 sinned, and that meant their moral likeness to God was corrupted. That's why we need salvation, the new birth. That's why we need something that will restore that relationship with God that he intended from the very beginning. Adam and Eve were created personal beings with spirit and mind and emotions and self-conscious and the power of choice. But like you and I, Adam and Eve made some poor choices. But another reason that it seems God made Adam and Eve the way he did is because God gave the human beings the image in which he would appear visibly to them. And I read this in one of the commentaries a couple of weeks ago, and, and I've really kind of grappled with this. Why did God make us the way he, he did? Well, folks, God's plan one day that he would send his very own son. You remember John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God. Folks, we're created in a way that we can respond to God, whether it is in rebellion or submission and obedience to him. But God, in his plan, would send his son, and we could know as human beings, we could know him. But folks, there's so much more information in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 teach us that marriage is God's design for the sexual union of a man and of a woman. And God has prepared or will prepare that special person for us. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, God makes a helper that is fit for Adam. Folks, when we seek God's will for the person that he has created with us, for us, he will open our eyes to see that person. And God will cause our lives to come together for the purpose of being man and wife. Folks, I've heard so many different stories from people about over the years how they found their husband or their wife. And perhaps they had lived long distances away. Perhaps they'd never been to the city or place where they met their wife. Perhaps it was someone that they fell in love with down the street from them. But folks, God had a plan for them. And because God has got a plan for us to be married... Sexual intimacy is intended by God for a man and his wife. Genesis 1 and 2 contain a lot of first. And you remember last week we talked about how it seems so many first things happened. But in Genesis 18 to 25, God describes the first marriage. And that's where we want to pick up today. 
in verse 18 of chapter 2, after God had created everything and instated in chapter 1, verse 31, that it was very good, now in chapter 2, verse 18, God says that there's something in his wonderful world that is not good. And folks, you and I know what that is. Adam, whom God has created, is alone. Now think about this for just a second. Adam was not the only living creature on the earth. First of all, God was coming to Adam, and Adam was enjoying fellowship with him. And Adam could enjoy the beauty of the Garden of Eden. He could eat of his fruits. And before sin came in the world, mankind enjoyed work. And Adam enjoyed his duties as working in the Garden of Eden. Even had all those animals to interact with and to look at. But Adam's life was incomplete. Young people, have you ever wondered why, as you grow up, especially in those teen years when you have many friends and you've got a lot of stuff in life and even loving parents, have you ever wondered why there's something missing in your life? Folks, do you and I understand that God has created us with a desire to have a fellowship with someone of the opposite sex? And, and there's nothing wrong with that, folks as long as it is under the guidance and guidelines of God. God made us this way so that you and I as young men and young women would be compelled to search out a relationship with the opposite sex. That is the way that God created us. And Adam was com incomplete without Eve. Adam needed a loving companion and a helper for his life. And Eve was God's special gift to Adam. Listen to this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. And folks, this is in another context where Adam and Eve have now sinned and they feel guilty before God and now they're trying to blame each other for their rebellion. And listen to what Adam says, not understanding that he is really complimenting his wife, the woman whom thou gavest to me. Adam saw that Eve was a gift. In Proverbs 18.22, in the Living Bible translation, the writer says, The man who finds a wife finds a good thing. She is a blessing to him from the Lord. And men, we need to ask ourselves at least three questions. And I'm not saying this to get the approval of the ladies, okay? And I'm not saying this to get in good with my wife, okay? But do you and I truly recognize and consider our wives as a gift from God? Do we? Is our wife truly a blessing from God? Now, I'd be a liar if I told you Debbie and I don't have our moments when we disagree, even argue, even get mad, and not even speak to each other. So often we need to be reminded that our spouses, our husbands, our wives are a gift from God. If we sought God's will in the person that we married, that person is a gift and a blessing from God. And young men, I want to ask you a question. Are you asking God for and praying for that special woman that God created for you? The one that God picked out and chose for you and even created for you. And I know that sounds old-fashioned, doesn't it? But, you know, we've got everything backwards. We make the decision about who we want to marry, and then we tell God to bless us. And we need to do the reverse. We need to ask God 
to bless us by showing us that person that he's created for us. And the third question to you and I as husbands, are we taking our wives for granted? And folks, as you study this passage of Scripture, you cannot do that. Because let me point out a couple of things that this passage of Scripture, Genesis 2, beginning with verse 18, points out. First of all, the dignity of women. In verses 18 to 22, when Eve was created, she was not a lesser creation than Adam. We're living in a world, many parts of it, that the man considers that he is better and should be respected by the woman and he should give no respect to his wife. Do you realize that? Even in the Old Testament, the Jews had misunderstood the act of creation, and even in building the temple, they would have areas where only the men could go and only the women and children could go. Folks, our wives, our daughters, were not created a lesser creation than you and I who are men. The same God who made Adam also made Eve and created her in his own image. And the plain fact is that Adam needed Eve. Eve was not made to be Adam's slave or a sex object or a cook and a housekeeper. <laughs> now, I got I to gotta say this, though, on behalf of us guys. We sure do like it when you cook and when you housekeep, okay? <laughs> Just seeing if y'all are still with me. Matthew Henry, who wrote a commentary years and years ago, wrote this. Eve was not made out of Adam's head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near to his heart to be loved. And I'm not just trying to be sentimental this morning, folks. Notice also in these verses that God's pattern for marriage was not devised by Adam. I want you to think about that for just a second. Who came up with the idea of marriage anyway? It was God's holy plan for a man and woman to come together as husband and wife. And folks, one of the most shocking things that I think is happening in our world today is that we absolutely just leave God, and I say we, I'm including myself, we leave God out of everything until we get in trouble, don't we? God is left out of our homes, out of our marriage, out of our lives until we run upon something that we can't handle ourselves, and then suddenly we ask God to get involved. Folks, from the very onset, we need to let God be in control. And Adam did not go up to God and say, I want to be married, I want a wife. Adam was alone, but I believe he trusted God that God would provide what he needed. Marriage was born in the heart of a loving God. And God had the first word on marriage, and God will have the last word on marriage. And regardless, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, I'm not trying to be judgmental or critical, I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Regardless of whatever state and national lawmakers or presidents or even some preachers say about marriage, God designed it, God planned it, and we must obey him. And listen to what the writer of Hebrews 13 verse 4 says. And folks, in this context, he's talking about living the Christian life. And listen to what he says. Let marriage be held in honor among all, 
and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the immoral and the adulterous. Let me read that to you in the Living Bible. Honor your marriage and its vows and be pure, for God will surely punish all those who are immoral or commit adultery. Folks, listen to God. If you don't like what I'm saying, listen to God. And God says that his original plan was that one man and one woman would become one flesh for a lifetime. Marriage is the holy institution that God ordained. And remember again, it was God who performed the first marriage in the Garden of Eden. So quickly, let me tell you what we can learn about the purpose, God's purpose in this first marriage. And I'll share four things with you, okay? Number one, God's purpose and Adam and Eve being joined together, God wanted a companion who would complete Adam's life, so God gave him a wife. God gave Adam a, not an animal, but a person, someone who was equal, someone who could understand and help him. Have you ever noticed that so often the person that people choose to marry is different in many ways? Folks, God uses our mate to compliment us. And I'm not talking about say good things about us. I'm trying to say that where you and I might have a weakness, our spouse will have a strength. God is at work making our life full and making our lives whole. Marriage also is an opportunity to exercise faith, hope, and love together and to nurture together and worship and service for the glory of God. And folks, have you noticed Adam and Eve as husband and wife were experiencing and worshiping God? You know, I'm not worried about y'all think I'm trying to be up here belittling people. That's not what I'm trying to do. Have you, have you ever noticed how we as men sometimes, we make our wives do all the religious stuff? Thank God for wives who will. But folks, as Christian men, we need to be taking the leadership and the worship and experiencing God in our marriage and also in our homes. Number two, God's purpose in marriage was to provide the God-given right to, en to enjoy sexual intimacy and have children. And yes, I said that from the pulpit, okay? God intended that when a man and woman united together in marriage, that sexual love would not only be for childbearing, but growing closer together as husband and wife. Sexual love was never intended by God to be something dirty or selfish. And this is what worries me about our culture today. Sex is an expression not of love and togetherness, but of selfishness and self-gratification. And because of that, sex outside of marriage has become so destructive of relationships of homes, of families in our society. And again, if you don't know me, I'm saying that from a person who is an illegitimate child, is an illegit illegitimate child. 
Folks, you and I need to come to grips with something. God is not trying to keep us from having any fun. God is trying to keep us from hurting ourselves and hurting others. And that is why throughout the Word of God, sexual union outside of marriage is condemned and shown to be destructive. So many young people's hearts are being torn asunder now because they carry so much guilt. God doesn't want that. And as we've already read, God wants faithfulness in marriage. And that's true of everybody, including the preacher, too. And I'm not going to try and stand in this pulpit and preach something to you that I won't try and practice. Thirdly, marriage is to be an illustration of the love and intimate relationship that Christ has with his church. Let me read these verses to you out of Ephesians chapter 5, and it's worthy of our time. Give me just a couple more minutes to read these verses. A lot of people read these verses and think that Paul was a male chauvinist pig. That was what we were using in recent years to describe people who thought that women should take a secondary role. But listen to what Paul says. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself his Savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. And you guys don't get puffed up and say, well, my wife ain't submitting to me, but I'm going to tell her what Herbert said when we get home. <laughs> because listen to what Paul says beginning with the next verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church. Folks, let me point something out. The wife, according to Paul, is to be subject to her husband as to the Lord and to respect him. But folks, listen to this. The husband is given more responsibility than the wife. Listen to this. Verse 23, he is to be the head of the wife. Folks, listen, a Christ-like man will be the head of the family. And I'm saying that to me too, okay? A Christ-like man will be the head of the wife, which means he will protect, provide, and watch over his wife and his children. And secondly, Paul says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him up for her. As husbands, we must pattern our love for our wives after Christ's love for the church. We must nurture and cherish the wife that God has given us. And finally, in verse 28, Paul says, we should love our wives as our own bodies. I want you to think about this for just a second. How can we attack people? Well, obviously physically, but also verbally and emotionally. Would we do that to ourselves? Now, probably there's been some times you wanted to hit yourself or kick yourself, but surely you and I would not talk ugly about ourselves. We would not attack ourselves. But so often we do that to our wives, don't we? And perhaps it's not physical. I hope it's not. But the verbal and the emotional attacks can be as devastating to a woman, I believe, as the physical. And hurt probably for a long, longer time. 
And fourthly, God intended for marriage to be a spiritual relationship and a heart relationship. As God reflects on marriage in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, God is trying to say that marriage is to be more than simply a physical or a sexual relationship, but a coming together of a husband and wife to know, to share, and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with others. God ordained that first marriage at the very beginning of creation. And folks, please notice that marriage and the family unit were the most important institution on earth at creation. God did this first. God sees our relationship as husband and wives and his family so very important. Folks, let God's plan and God's will be done in your life as a husband and wife. And let God's will be done as a family. Let's pray together. Father, help us that we will do marriage your way and we will love our spouses and our children and grandchildren. Father, forgive us where we failed each other. Lord, I am so grateful that you are a God of the second chance that, Lord, so often when we fail that, Lord, when we come to you, you embrace us and you set us back right and you give us a new focus and a new vision and Lord I pray today that if there are marriages that are in trouble Lord that husbands and wives would surrender themselves first themselves to you and then their marriage and I pray for homes Lord that might be struggling that you will just bless them Lord may we let you back into our homes Lord, may we not be ashamed to let the world know that not only that we're Christians, but we're going to try and do things God's way. And Lord, give us strength that we will. Father, I just pray for every man and woman, for every child that's here this day, Lord, that you will just bless them. Whatever their need, may they turn to you. And may they know you not only as the creator God, but the God who has a purpose and plan for their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of decision this morning is...